everyone, and welcome. This is episode 254 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I am James, uh, with a very grumpy group here, Ryan and Paul. You know, it's summer's over, it's been raining all weekend, and every sports team in Wisconsin stinks. So other than that, <laughs> Ryan, how are you doing? Well, so I decided that football's terrible, and I hate it. And so yes. I started binge watching on Saturday morning because there was no EPL. Uh, may Her Majesty rest in peace. Uh, <laughs> so I decided that uh, because of that, uh, I would start binge watching the country music documentary by Ken Burns, which I'd never watched. So I, I'm like three and a half episodes into that right now, other than watching the Badgers and the Packers and having the Brewers on while those games are going on, too. Uh, that's what I've been doing. And you know what? It's been great. It's been very, very good. I'm surprised because I'm not a huge country music fan, but I'm surprised how many of these songs I really know. Like they are just part of the 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 general world that is out there. And I know a lot of them, like way more than I thought. I mean, country was just all music for a lot of American history. So that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's sure it is like half of what we think of as rock and roll. Uh, the half that's not the R&B, um, you know, Motown influence. And so that makes a lot of sense that, you know, the older country is in the popular zeitgeist more than people realize. Um, so uh, getting finished with that, uh, I'm just super pissed off from the Packer game. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to get over it for a while. I have a lot of thoughts on it. It was very maddening. I agree with Ryan that football is terrible and should never have been invented. And uh, it, it's it's just going to be a rough week of, uh, so I've been wrong about this occasionally before when I've thought Aaron has been missing people wide open in the secondary. And then I look at the all 22 later and he wasn't, I'm pretty sure he, he was just an asshole this game. And we'll, leave it, we'll leave it at that. We'll, we'll, we'll see if that's true that Aaron was, was in fact an asshole, but uh, I'm pretty sure that they lost because he was an asshole. So we'll see. We'll see you later this week. Can't wait. Yeah. Didn't seem very pleasant on the sidelines during the game. And uh, he just kind of looked like a grumpy like, old man sick of playing with kids. So. When it, Christian Watson drops a pass wide open. It's fine to be mad at him for two seconds. But you'll, you'll notice that like, when, when a cornerback gets beaten for a deep ball, the announcers will come on and say something to the effect of, oh, and he's a great corner because he forgets about the play before and he just gets into the next play right away. And he has, he has a short memory for that kind of thing. But Aaron Rodgers, it's like, oh, he's got to earn the, his receivers have to earn the trust of Aaron Rodgers. Like, he's got a long memory. That's stupid. <laughs> That's dumb. Like, he punishes people for mistakes that end up costing the team. It's ridiculous. He should be ripped all, all the time for doing that. I'm, I'm, I have to look into this. It might be garbage. I do wonder how much him ignoring Devontae Adams for the first two years of his career, except for forced <laughs> garbage throws, maybe hurt his development a little bit because Devontae dropped a lot of balls and ran a lot of wrong routes and then became good later on. And maybe he could have been good sooner if Aaron wasn't such a putz. So, yeah, that stupid Packers. See, I remember people complaining a lot about him forcing balls into Devontae, even though he kept dropping uh, footballs. They ran a lot of stupid plays for Devontae to get in the ball at the line of scrimmage. They were very inefficient, and he wasn't good at them. Um, but he he would basically never target him down the field. Um, hmm. while, while, we, while we talk about baseball, I will bring up his rookie numbers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, because the way I remember it was people really getting mad that he was forcing the ball in so much to Devontae. And I was going to ask you if, like, what happened to that Aaron Rodgers? Because that one seems like you'd be much better for the development of... Uh, these guys than this Aaron Rodgers who yeah just seemingly won't throw to them anymore a lot of that was literally just the scheme is a one read play and he would throw it to him and yeah. that was that yep. yeah thanks McCarthy yeah all right well Paul will have a lot of thoughts when he records reporting as eligible so later annoying. this week yeah uh <clears throat> very much I guess looking forward to that one uh the game was very difficult to watch but hey leads to entertaining content after and that that's we're in the entertainment business i don't know it, it's just annoying we're all in a bad mood so apologies ahead of time we had to even restart the start of this show because we're all just so thrown off and off kilter so uh this should be a fun one <laughs> but uh okay. but yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so before we get to the brewers who actually managed to win some games yeah they won time, hooray today they won uh, barely, but we'll get to that. Um, if you want to help support our podcast network, including the Reporting as Eligible podcast, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash tailgate for as little as two bucks a month. 
that gets you question priority on both podcasts. And I have a feeling you, you, there's going to be, you know, you want question priority right now. You know, you're sitting yes. at home thinking, ah, yes, that sounds good. I would like to complain to the guys about that. Yeah. Do that. Sign up. Yep. Yep. Worth, worth the two bucks for sure. Five bucks a month gets you that question priority. Plus, some exclusive podcasts, including the Miter League Extra with Ryan and James Anderson from Rotowire, as well as Paul's Packer mini pods. Uh, so definitely worth a listen there as well. Um, so I guess compared to the football this weekend, the Brewers are doing relatively well, <laughs> even though they're still treading water. Uh, they're kind of hanging on here. They they hung on to win against Cincinnati on Sunday, uh, making it a lot more interesting than it probably should have been uh, in the late innings again. But hey, kudos to Garrett Mitchell for a great catch there to kind of save things. Uh, they won on Sunday, so they're now 6-6 six and six in September. It hasn't quite been the Craig Timber we were hoping for or uh, the Brewers kind of needed, but they actually managed to make up some ground in the wild card race this week. Uh, they'll start at two games behind the Padres for the final wild card spot, although... As always, important to remember, the Brewers do not have the tiebreaker over the Phillies or the Padres, so effectively add another game to that because they're going to need to beat them by at least one game. Um, but I guess we should first talk about you know, the, the injury woes of the last week because I think the road to the playoffs maybe got a little bit tougher uh, in, in back-to-back days, no less, when Eric Lauer and Freddie Peralta both had to leave their starts early. Definitely not encouraging, but I guess preliminary... Uh, results are that Eric Lauer's elbow, maybe not as catastrophic as we all feared. Uh And Freddie Peralta, again, experiencing shoulder weakness. So who knows exactly how long he'll be out. But I guess, Paul, let's start with you. How big of a blow is it to lose those two guys specifically the rest of the way? Well, it's pretty big just because you're running out of starting pitchers. Um, So, yes, they, they at the start of the season, I would say had pretty good depth at starting pitching. And it's just been whittled away over time. And now you're running Jason Alexander out there once in a while. And it hurts. Like, And they have a big stretch of games in a row um, where they can't play fast and loose with, you know, skipping days and stuff like that. And it, it's going to have a severe impact on them down the stretch. It really is. It's, it's unfortunate. And uh, especially just both Peralta and Lauer. I know Lauer's had a bit of a, bit of a rough year. Peralta has two more on health, I think. But uh, they're you know they're also good. It's not just losing innings eaters here. It's losing potential and performance in, in them. And now they're really in a tough spot of having to fill innings with kind of less than ideal people. So it's bad. It's really bad. It's going to hurt them a lot. Yeah, it is definitely bad. And the timing on this is terrible because they really needed to get momentum going. And every time they seem to gain a little bit of momentum, something incredibly either somebody gets hurt or Tuesday night happens. That game at the Rockies was was a Tuesday night or Wednesday night, whatever the one where they they lost after being up six one. That's the stupid. Eighth. Famously, Jesus. the Tuesday night game that uh, they were recording reporting as eligible. Uh, yes, uh, right. That's week. right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Woodruff seven inning ninety pitch game. Unbelievable yeah. game. Yeah, and so you have stupid things like that happen where it's just unbelievably soul crushing and awful. And then the next day, Lauer comes out and ends up walking off hurt while getting his head kicked in because that's basically what he does at at Coors. You'd rather just not ever pitch him at Coors if you can avoid it, but. So you just have all this garbage happening. And then the the Friday night game, the awful Friday night game against uh, against the Reds, where they got behind basically early because Jason Alexander could not do anything other than give up a hit for that first inning. Though we actually stabilized after that somewhat. And so you can kind of hold on to that a little bit and feel a little bit better. It, it's Everything is just very awful with all of that right now uh (laughs) thursday nights i mean thursday night's doubleheader they won both of those games but both were close it was kind of a nip and tuck affair the offense never really got going in either of those games against the giants even though they you know really should have so it, it just nothing ever seems to this team never can click all together at the same time there's always something going wrong like today's game where they had a substantial lead, and because Brandon Woodruff was on the mound, apparently they're cursed when he starts because the bullpen then just has to like hemorrhage runs and give everything back. This time, fortunately, they managed not to give quite everything back, so it ended up working out better. But yeah, it's yep. 
it's just, it's really, really tough. This is a, a tough season. And I think that when it's all said and done, when you go back and look at the baseball reference page for this year, the way that you do, you know, five, six years down the line for any of the other teams, you have, like if you go back and look at the 2014 team, I think that the story of this season is probably going to be you're going to go, well, look, all those starters who were so good last year, one, they weren't as good as they were last year. And then they also a lot of them got hurt and missed a bunch of time. So they didn't yep. give the innings or the performance that they had the year before. Yeah, I was I was actually just doing this the other day with with my DM that people know about. Um, and <laughs> well, like Burns and Woodruff and Peralta have all been good this year and above average. They're still like ERA plus wise, just significantly down from last year where they were phenomenal and the dro- dropping from phenomenal to well above average is still a big decline, even if you. You know, it's also disguised a little bit by the ball being being a little deader. So, you know, uh, uh, on the surface level, it looks like they're performing somewhat similar to last year, when in reality, like Burns has been like 20 to 30 percent worse than last year, which is still very good, but not mm-hmm. good enough um, for what they need, uh, especially with more injuries and um, the bullpen not being as good. So but you're right. That is that's what it's going to look like when it's all said and done is attrition and just some regression to the mean and some performances coming back down to earth. And that's what really did them in. Well, that's a really good point, too, because we've talked a lot about how the offense isn't actually as bad as it seems because the the league environment makes it look worse than it truly is based on what our historical standards are. And it's the exact opposite for the pitching. The pitching isn't as good as you think it is because Everybody's pitching is better this year. Uh, did you guys catch that Jonathan Judge posted something today about how the Brewers are one of only three teams that have a higher home run rate this year than last year? And there's a huh. significantly. Uh, I did see that, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah. And like the other two was the Marlins. And I, I forget who the other one was, but it was that kind of stood out to me. And he, he made the point that that's like something like 38 to 40 runs worth of weirdness in there to just throw into the stew of everything that's weird and stupid about this brewer season, you yep. know, that they were giving up more home runs than you would expect too, And yeah, you know, some of that is probably related to the pitchers. I mean, like Eric Lauer probably gave up fewer home runs than you would expect last year relative to like what the ball was doing last year. Yep. And is certainly giving up more than you would expect now. So the, the big jump is not necessarily, like something that you would a hundred percent say you know, is cutting against the grain of the the change, but it is weird. It it is weird, which is just everything about this season. This Brewer season is just dumb and weird. Just dumb. It's, just it's dumb so dumb. Yes. Everything's dumb. All right. I guess on that note, you guys noticed that the also speaking of dumb, the Brewer schedule kind of breaking down in a way that might make you know covering for Lauer and and Peralta a little. Uh, trickier or maybe they think outside the box so ryan i guess what do they do going forward to kind of fill those spots yeah so i was on brewers.com today and they officially and i'm assuming this is official because it's on the team's website they say that they have burns going on five days rest on wednesday which is interesting because normally you would think they would have him go on that thursday which would then make him available one day sooner coming back the other direction but it looks like they're going to give him this extra day of rest What this means is, so the Brewers have off Monday, and they also have off Thursday. More on that stupidity in a minute. But that means that the Tuesday game is up in the air right now. And I suggested on Twitter that uh, they take a look at Josh Lindblom. And I know, for those of you screaming at your radios right now, (laughs) that, uh, yeah, he he hasn't been great in the past with the Brewers. But... (laughs) Uh, he has been very good recently in AAA. So in his last 29 innings covering five starts, 217 ERA, a 36 to 12 strikeout to walk ratio. And they're desperate. I mean, at this point, they have three starters. They have three starters. And then Jason Alexander, who I don't think you is really not a starter. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you, you just I mean, really don't want him to start. This is one of those times where <laughs> I think we're just in agreement here. We're like. Um, what do you have to lose? You, you need you need somebody to go in there. You may as well play for some upside, even if it's just hot hand nonsense. You know, not long term projection upside. Like that happens sometimes. Sometimes guys figure something out. And um, Lindblom, you know, they saw good things in him at some point in the past. Maybe he randomly hits it right now. He has recently. You may as well give it a shot because otherwise, geez. Yeah, and the thing with Lindblom is, is that 
you don't necessarily need to get much out of him. If you can get, honestly, two times through the order against the Cardinals, against that lineup, and basically say, hey, look, you're going to unload everything that you have at Goldschmidt and Pujols and, and Arenado twice through the order here, and that's it. We're not expecting you to get them get through the, the lineup a third time here. So just throw the kitchen sink at them, anything you can think of, and then we'll get you the hell out of there after you know three innings, four innings, whatever that is. And that will be enough to get us through because at that point with having had the day off and then having Burns the next day and then a day off following that, they could pretty much just go for a bullpen game. And, and that may be what they end up doing anyway. They may just decide we're just going to go inning by inning and do a bullpen game here and that we're just we're going to be fine with that. And maybe that is the, the solution this time. But I kind of think that I would I would just take a shot at Lindblom, especially because he, that is his normal day to go. He has been five that he'll be on uh, four days rest at that point. That's his fifth day. So I, I looked that up and he would be good to go on the 13th. I don't know what his history against against those Cardinals hitters, <laughs> but probably bad you know, in all likelihood bad. But I mean, you're not asking him to to uh, turn this line over, over a bunch of times. You're not asking him to take on the Cardinals four times over the course of you know a season. You're asking him to just get two innings or sorry, two times through the order. If you can get that, you have a potential to to maybe set yourself up and be okay. Absolutely. All right. Uh, You know, we've talked a lot about how the Brewers really had to make hay in this part of the schedule, both with the home schedule and with the, you know, bottom of the barrel teams. And they haven't really done that. So that kind of leads us to our first Patreon question of this week comes from Brian Polakowski, who says 15 and 16 in the last 31 games and 31 days. What letter grade do you give the crew? Also, please pick one Packer player that would help the Brewers this year. Uh, So, uh, Paul, let's start with you. Uh, What letter grade over the last month going 15 and 16 in in this stretch of 31 games here? Like a D. Um, I I think... The, the amount they've lost to lesser teams warrants a grade lower than a C. Uh, I, I think an F is unwarranted because they're not ma- they're not even close to mathematically eliminated. They're actually still fairly in it. So it's not like you can say they're like they've been hopeless. They definitely could have gone on a an anti terror enough to be completely out of the playoffs, and they haven't done that. But it's not good. They should have gained ground based on who they were playing uh, more than they did, and they should have a record over five hundred. So it's bad. Um, and as for uh, uh, a Packer player that helped the Brewers this year, uh, I, that's a toughie. I guess I'd go with Jordan Love, who does have a 70 arm in, in NFL terms <laughs> and who could at least maybe get a few outs with a baseball, though I'm not really sure. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be somebody to maybe help them pitch a little bit because yeah. they've got just about everything else sort of covered and I don't know. Is is there anybody on that team that's just got like a softball swing? Well, see, they have that though. They have a bunch of guys who can hit for power. So even that, like you know, football players often just have that ability to hit for power when they pick yeah. up a, a bat. So yeah, uh, like if you want if you want a base stealer like Christian Watson can Christian do Watson, that. Yeah. Um, they have a lot of speed. Like that's not a problem. Um, mm-hmm. Jair, I'm sure, would be good at that. Uh, they cut Rico Gafford. Otherwise, he would be the one you'd want. He is a four two six forty, which was the fastest on the team. So if you go to the practice squad, you get that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, for overall grade, I think you're about right there. I maybe give them like a D plus C minus somewhere in that range. Maybe I'm like a notch uh, above you, but not by much. It we're just it's been really rough. The expectations on what they needed to do here were set by how, you know, poorly they'd played basically since the, the start of June and how they had given up this ground to the Cardinals and all of that. So I think that it's fair to it's fair to say that like they needed to be better than they are. So even though this is mediocre, it, it, they needed to be better than mediocre. So to knock that down below an average grade is perfectly acceptable to me. All right. Uh, moving on. We also in the last week got MLB finally announcing the rule changes we've all kind of expected to be coming for like a year now. Uh, basically saying a pitch clock and restrictions on where fielders can position themselves will come next year, as well as bigger bases for added player safety and hopefully increasing steal attempts on the league's part. So 
the times on the pitch clock will be a little bit different than they have been in the minor leagues, which uh, by all accounts have really sped up games in the minors. So in the majors, we'll see a 30 second clock between batters, 20 seconds between pitches with runners on base and 15 seconds between pitches with nobody on. So it'll definitely be interesting to see how the, the pace kind of speeds up there, especially with some of the uh, pitchers that are known to be, you know, human rain delay, uh, kind of guys that that really slow things down there's more too batters are also expected to be into the box with eight seconds remaining on the clock and if they're not then they get a a violation as well and i think the first one is a warning and then the second one is you're assessed like if you're a pitcher you're assessed a ball and if you're a batter you're assessed a strike strike yep so yeah so there's also an expectation here on the batters that they can't do their you know step out of the box and swing around now i'm assuming that there will be allowances made for things like, you know, if you break a bat, obviously that's going to require a changed bat. Or if you lose your bat, like if your bat goes flying (laughs) off and then they go and grab that spray and spray it down again to get more sticky. Like there's going to be that stuff as well. But for the most part, I think this is going to put a lot of pressure on things and it's going to be good for the game. And hopefully will also lead to pitchers having to, be maybe a little bit less uh 100% with every pitch. Yeah. That less that is the hope, effort, right? Yeah. yeah. That's Yeah, that's the hope for sure. There's also the possibility it backfires on hitters by not having the time to go through all their nonsense as well. So, we'll see. <laughs> I look forward to seeing which it really dominates or if it's kind of a, a, a press or but uh um I I do think it's a good move to keep things moving along and honestly, there's no reason for the big Ryan Braun show of Justin <laughs> and all that jazz like not everybody needs to do it you don't either mm-hmm. generation raised on no more garcia para that's yeah. what we get i'm mm-hmm. looking forward to the big bases i'm very excited about the big bases <laughs> i haven't ryan have you seen the big base i have not i thought yeah. they'd be all over the internet like i found uh, a picture it looks substantially bigger um yeah. and it's not by measurement size but it just looks big and weird so yeah. Yeah, that might take some getting used to. Yeah, the main advantage of it is that hopefully you're going to have a few fewer injuries at first base when the first baseman is is putting the foot on the bag yep. and the the batter is you know running down trying to beat the the throat first. There have been some issues with that, not often, but it does happen in the game, and so hopefully that will be largely a thing of the past at this point. I don't think that the distance thing is going to make much of a difference. No. I think that one thing that they did askew here and they chose not to implement was the limitation on the number of throws back. So yep. they they chose not to do that at least in this round. And I don't mind I don't I, like I actually would like them to have that limitation put in. I think it would increase stealing and stealing would help to make this game more interesting. Yeah. But I also think that it is somewhat problematic to try to do everything all at once. I kind of wish they would roll these things out uh, more piecemeal. Like you don't need to change everything all at once. You could do one thing this year and one thing the next, and that would be perfectly acceptable, but that's a quibble. Sure. Um, And then in terms of the shifting too, I think it's not super accurate to call it banning the shift because as you know, some other Mm -hmm. people have pointed out, uh, but teams will need to have at least two defenders on each side of second base on the infield. They have to stay inside the outside grass. That's an important thing. Although as you know, Mike Petrello and others have pointed out that there's nothing really stopping teams from say pulling an outfielder into a shift and then basically having two outfielders play the gaps while another one kind of plays that, that shifted over position. Uh, so, you know, if you want to take your chances with guys like Joey Gallo and hope he doesn't just hit it to the wall and left field, go for it. But um, I think that'll be kind of interesting to see too, how teams kind of get around that because I, I highly doubt that shifting is, you know, dead, dead, but I don't know. We'll, we'll I guess we'll see how this works out. And we do have some questions about that. Uh, so let's start with Corey Diedrich, who's asking, uh, curious about your thoughts on the rule changes for next year. Do you think the no shifting will be the biggest adjustment for teams? So, Paul, I guess, is that the biggest thing or is it the pitching pitching clock or, or what do you think? I think it'll be the pitching clock more than the shifting. Um, it, it's I don't think in the aggregate as drastic a shift. Um, uh, no, none, no stupid pun intended um, as as. The, the pitching clock, which is, I think, going to mess with 
you know, the regular routines of people and, and just what they do to get ready. Um, it, you'll still be able to move people around and you'll still be able to move people, you know, on the sides of the field. They're restricted to, you still be able to do quite a lot. It's really just going to eliminate a few minor things. Um, and you'll still, you'll st- still see things that are very similar to the shift as we know it. A- aside from that, I think there's just a misnomer about what the shift does, which is um, the idea that the the shift um, just punishes. Or it, it's supposed to force people to, you know, have to spray hits um, more than they do. When it, it, what it really does is lessen home runs by punishing dead pull hitters who want to swing really hard and only hit dead pull. I think it'll actually drive home runs up, and because that's its primary like effect, that people will mostly just notice like. Uh, home runs went up a little bit and not really notice any like in ball in play uh, effects from it at all. Like honestly, like 50 games into next year, nobody will notice or care. Yeah. So the pitch clock thing is going to be, I agree. The the biggest thing in terms of what people notice, we're going to have all these new things happening at a big league level. <laughs> people are going to yeah. be chanting down for the pitch counts and people are going to start doing what is it that they do at Duke where you start giving the fake counts. You're a couple yeah. seconds ahead to mess yeah. with or the speed up counts like they do for Giannis free throws. That'd be fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're going to see some of this nonsense happen and that's fine. Like this. It, remember there has always been a rule in place that pitchers are supposed to be to the uh, they're supposed to uh, throw the ball within a certain amount of time. I don't know offhand know what it is. It's just never been enforced because they didn't have a clock. So it's impossible to enforce. This is just enforcing basically an idea that has long been on the books. But the shifting thing, so my wife and I have spent a lot of this year watching the fielding from our seats because our seats are perfectly vantage point to be able to like really see the field well and to look at these things. And we would point out, like say to each other, oh, okay, so this would be a legal shift next year. This would be illegal uh, just hmm. based on where the, the infielders are. And what really stands out when you watch it, there's a lot that you can do that is still going to be legal next year. You can essentially yeah. have the second baseman playing, um, like on with, if you have a left-handed pull hitter, you can have the second baseman playing really quite a bit back. Yep. And uh, the first baseman covering, you know, essentially down the line in first base. And the shortstop hanging out, really basically right behind the bag at second base. Six inches from second base. Yeah, exactly. And one thing that I do wonder is what we're going to see in terms of, so there is a rule. Uh, those of you who are effectively wild listeners know you, this, you know, this is one of the Eddie Stanky rules uh, that was put in place because Eddie Stanky, among the many tricky things that he did back in the day was he would dance around behind uh, second base and try to distract the batter in the box while they're trying to focus on the pitch. And baseball said, no, 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 you can't do that. That's not, you know, that's dirty pool. You're that is that is not allowable. But now what you're going to have is is, I think, uh, shortstops and second baseman hanging out right at the edge of legal territory and then moving on the pitch. And if that becomes a distraction to batters, even to the point where maybe it could become a, a, a safety concern. Yeah, uh, we'll see if they have to make an adjustment to that. I, w- I would think they were would have been kind of watching that at the minor league level, but I don't know how closely people are actually watching for things like that. So we'll see what all happens there, but I would assume you're going to see guys moving around somewhat on the pitch, at least shuffling, you know, a few steps over towards, you know, more of the spot that they want to be at when it's delivered. So that's going to be a thing to watch, but there is still quite a bit of flexibility allowed within these rules for where guys can go. Um, did you guys see the the they were putting paint down and I think this was in an independent league. Maybe it was even in, in the low minors, but they were putting paint down. It basically was like a, a couple of hash marks that would have uh, been basically you're you're not allowed to go into that space if you are the second baseman or the shortstop. Yep. OK, so you saw this. Yeah. Like, yeah. I wonder if we end up there. I hope not, because that's really ugly like that. That is just ugly and there needs to be at least some allowance still left for teams to be able to determine hey where are guys likely to hit and we want to place our defenders somewhat there because that should be still part of the game that it you know like defensive positioning should be part of the game It, it, it should be maybe it's gone too far with this I probably I wouldn't do this I would not 
have the shift rules put into place if I had my druthers, but I also don't think as they're currently constructed that they're going to be a drastic change for most hitters. For sure. most hitters. Yep. Sure. I agree. I guess that leads to our second question on on shifting and such from PJ Wessels asking, does the no shifting rule <laughs> ch- change uh, fix Christian Yelich? Also, how quickly do front offices adjust their player evaluations to account for the lack of shifts? So, you know, I've joked that, you know, without the shift, Christian Yelich will jump back up to being like a 290 hitter. Uh, he can just hit 110 mile an hour grounders to the right side to his heart's yep. content. But, uh, Paul, it's probably not going to happen, right? Like, there's there's more at play here. So I'll go with a cautious maybe, just because I, I do feel like uh, one of the effects that the shift does have specifically on power hitting lefties is sort of um, a mental one uh, of just making them have to think about all the guys sitting out there to rob them and, you know, putting it into the head like, okay, maybe I'm going to try and spray this. Whereas if you can just sit dead pull on those pitches and try and hit them out of the park and, you know, have a little less fear of if it goes in play, it's not going to be gobbled up by a guy in short, you know, short rights. Um, that might actually help. So probably not because, you know, there's a lot of, problems with Christian Yelich and it's not just one thing but it might help him more than your normal player now uh, that's my most optimistic scenario for it like I'll, I'll go with that like it's not gonna make a difference for a lot of people but if it is he might be one of them it's going to help hitters who have been uh heavy ground ball hitters who hit it to a specific part of the infield more frequently than others. That is who it's going to help. And that is basically the definition of Christian Yelich. Yeah. So as much as it's going to help anybody, it's going to help Christian Yelich. And it's also, I think also it, by limiting where guys can be a little bit and having to, to cover more space in that way, it's also going to mean that guys will get to some baseballs, but won't get to them quite as positioned exactly as they would have been before which is going to mean that Christian Yelich's speed is going to allow him to beat out a few more infield hits. So even when infielders do get to a baseball, they aren't necessarily able to make a play on it. I'm thinking especially of guys like if you have the the shortstop coming over and moving into the hole behind second base to try to, to do some things, they may be able to get to some baseballs that Christian Yelich hits up the middle there, but I bet you he beats out a number of those hits. Um, so I think that as much as it helps anybody, it, it's going to help Yelich because he is sort of the guy that this – I mean, definitionally, he grounds the ball more than most hitters, and it's almost always to the pull side. Yep, all yep. true. So it probably does help him quite a bit. I think that we'll see a fairly substantial rise in his batting average on balls in play. So I think that will actually legitimately help him uh, on that. I think that if you go back and look, Yelich was, from my memory, he didn't get the the heavy shift treatment uh, until I want to say well into that 2019 season. It was. It was. Uh, I looked this up once. It actually mattered a lot for him. Okay. Like uh, he he got like no shift at all his first year with the Brewers. He got it about 30 percent of the time year two, and then it went to like 70 percent of the time thereafter. And it definitely had an impact on his his uh, betting average on balls in play, like a significant one. Yeah. And yeah, that completely conforms with what my memory was, because I always would watch him and go, "Okay, teams are not shifting him because they think of him as a guy who could spray the ball to all fields, which I guess is sort of more of what he was when he came to the Brewers from the Marlins, though that may have always been a misnomer. Honestly, that may have always been people not really understanding what Christian Yelich was. I can't speak to it too heavily because I didn't watch Christian Yelich on a daily basis when he was a Marlin. So I don't really know, but it seems to me from the time he got to the Brewers, he was a fairly heavy ground ball to the right-hand side guy. Like that's always sort of been when he would make outs, that's where he would tend to make the outs. Like when he put the ball in place. So, I do think it it helps him more than it helps most batters. I don't think the effect is going to be revolutionary. I don't think we see him go back to being MVP Christian Yelich because the main reason he's not MVP Christian Yelich anymore is not that he's hitting whatever he's hitting, 260-something this year versus 320. It's that, you know, he's hitting 12 home runs this year instead of, you know, 35. 30, yeah. Exactly. That's the difference in what's you know, MVP Christian Yelich. So... 
we will uh, we will see an uptick from him. I think this will help him, but ultimately, I don't think it's like transformative and game changing for him. But hey, maybe like Paul was saying, it, it's a psychological thing, and, and Paul has talked about how he's a, a psychological uh, anomaly. I guess the nice way to put it uh, when it comes to not pulling the ball. So maybe that helps him pull it a little bit more and we see more power. I don't know. Uh, one last question from M Santana who asked which brewer players will benefit the most out of the shift rule change. Uh, I guess yeah, it seems like a safe, safe bet, but anyone nope. else, Paul? No, like he's my quintessential. I, I, I would say generally speaking, left-handed power hitters will probably yeah, benefit. Rowdy, from maybe. Yeah, I don't Rowdy. Know. Maybe all he doesn't really seem to have been impact. I think Rowdy because he's just not going to get a lot of hard singles by his, you know, carriage um, versus <laughs> other people. Um, yeah. It's not going to happen as much for him. It, I mean, but it will. Like, it, it really, I think, will help people just kind of pull more home runs that direction more than anything else. And that's kind of it. So, your lefty power hitters are going to benefit more than anybody else. Spray hitters aren't because they don't get shifted. Like, they, they hit the ball all over. Good bat control guys, you know, they don't exist as much anymore just because um, of not necessarily shifting, but analytics on where to stand to get them. That's not always, a, a, you know, an extreme shift to the other side of the field. That's tendencies on depth and things like that, too. Sure. That's not going to change. Like, this is all about uh, when you don't connect for a home run, what happens. That's really what the shift is about. So those are the guys that will help. help. Getting rid of it will help guys who are trying to kill it more than anything else. Yeah, I think it'll help Rowdy. I think it will help anybody who has a significant amount of speed also, uh, making yeah. it a little bit harder for teams to uh, precisely put their infielders where they want them to be, meaning that guys will have to reach a little bit more, presumably for some baseballs. So like your Willie Adamases, uh, Garrett Mitchells, guys like that who have significant speed uh, will probably be affected by this somewhat and if we want to stay really on brand let's say josh bell because josh yeah. <laughs> yeah it will help. probably help josh bell that is true and if he is a brewer next year as we have been uh, discussing so much on this podcast uh he's a heavy ground ball heavy pull guy and so actually uh i, I was going to bring this up at some other point but uh yeah he uh his launch angle 8.6 or sorry 8.7 his launch angle is 8.7. So well, not that's like good Christian Yelich. That's good Christian <laughs> Yelich. Yeah. So he's also a guy that has, you know, some of the launch angle blues a little bit, though not to the extent that uh, that Yelich does. Maybe that maybe that makes people want to sign him less. But then again, now that the 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 shifting change is coming, he probably will be positively affected by that change. There we go. It'll definitely be interesting to see kind of what plays out there. And, and like some of these questions indicated, maybe how team theories or, or uh, strategies kind of shift a little bit too. not to overuse the shifting word uh, there. But yep. uh, we'll see what happens. All right. Kind of moving on. We've got a question from Mark Podscarby asking uh, about the bullpen, I'm assuming, <laughs> uh, saying what happened to the Brewers' ability to find random pitchers and rely on them. So, yeah. you know, always kind of a calling card of the Brewers in the last few years in the David Stearns era, the, the pitching lab era. I mean, we've had some guys like Strzelecki who kind of just came out of nowhere and mm -hmm. have been solid this year, yeah. Ryan Wright. But uh, anybody mm -hmm. else? Yeah, that was one of the guys I was going to mention. Though Strzelecki was a guy who's been drafted and developed by the Brewers. So maybe he doesn't qualify, though. I think he is pretty out of nowhere. Uh, he wasn't on my radar before this year, really at all. I, I barely remember seeing his name when you you know really dig into uh, box scores and and the the team numbers in the minors. So, uh, but I mean, you have Hobie Milner here. You have yep. Trevor Gott. Like they've brought in guys and they've been relatively successful. I mean, Milner and Gott have not been as good as they were at the start of the year, but. That's also just sort of the life of relievers. You know, they're up and down, especially the, the non-elite ones. They just kind of bounce around. And so I think that the biggest part of this is just that, like, I don't think that's necessarily disappeared for them. It's just it, it's been sort of covered up by injuries and the fact that other things have gone wrong. I mean, even you could say, to be realistic here, Jason Alexander is something of an example of this because Jason Alexander is nothing. He's nowhere. And yet this year for the Brewers, 
Uh, he's pitched in a number of games for them, and I'm trying to find the exact number here. The Brewers have won a number of the games that he's pitched in. Like, well, okay. Well, but the point being that like he has managed to be good enough to keep them in some games as a guy who came completely from nowhere and isn't going to go anywhere after this almost certainly. And yet they were able to like bring some use out of him at the big league level. I mean, the guy has 68 innings pitched at the big league level and he has a FIP of five. Yeah. He's a below average pitcher and you don't want him bad. It's not good. It's not adding value. Volume plus FIP of five is taking away value, not adding value. Look at what some other teams have had to start for their seventh, eighth, ninth starters, and you'll see that an ERA like of five and change, whatever it is, his ERA is. For for guys who are you're getting that far down the depth chart, there there are some seriously, actually awful pitchers who are completely useless and like actively destroying the team's chances. Jason Alexander well, has just he been just, he just did that like. This week, that just happened. Well, he and, he had a bad game, but overall, hold on. I'm going to find the number of what he's done in in what the Brewers have done in games. While you, while you look year. that up, I'll just mention that as a starter, teams have an 837 OPS against him, which sucks. And as a reliever, <laughs> teams have a 938 OPS against him, which sucks more. And I do think maybe this question kind of comes out of the frustration of, you know, the bullpen, Luis Perdomo specifically giving up the... Uh, the Brandon Woodruff game in Colorado. I mean, he's been kind of up and down. Trevor Kelly's got Luis a 60 Perdomo has actually been halfway decent. He's He's been decent, first. yeah. Like, he's been good. He just had that one. I think the main problem with the bullpen is actually um, lack of depth means that they can't just push them into platoon roles as much as they used to. And and the three-batter role. Um, you know, it's still, it's not new, but it's fairly new. And, you know, before the three batter rule, they were very, very good about just limiting guys to their dominant arm side. Now you can't. They get exposed more often than than they used to. And that hurts them as well. Um, There's not as big of an advantage to flipping between relievers um, as much as the Brewers used to. A lot of the rules that have gone into place over the last two years have been specifically to eliminate the things the Brewers did to create an edge. And a lot of those are around the bullpen, like not having 40 guys on the roster three-pitch rule are all things that hurt them specifically compared to other teams. And I think when you see them start to struggle, that's why. And the relievers will look okay. It's still in terms of numbers. Like Peter Strzelecki has been pretty good. Perdomo's been actually pretty good. He has 345 ERA. He's done a pretty good job. Uh, Hobie's good. Like We've seen Hobie play a bunch of really good baseball. But um, they get exposed a lot with less-than-ideal matchups and by Mm. having lesser guys out there because the rules now dictate that that happened yeah so i did look it up in games he started this year the brewers are four and six so they aren't winning like it's not an above 500 records not even 500 but it's also not a complete and utter disaster he's managed he's to totally keep them replacement in. level like he's probably <laughs> any any Buddy could do that, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, yes, they could because we're going off wins there, and wins are just random garbage that happen. Like it that's not a good stat for him. He's not good. He hasn't contributed. He's bad. If they would have never had Jason Alexander on the team, they'd be better for it. Yes. If they had if they had gone through the season the way that they had hoped, and that they had had their their starts taken up completely by the the guys who started the season, the top six guys. And I guess maybe if they had had Ethan Small be as ready as they hoped he was, if that had all happened and they had never had to start Jason Alexander, they would inarguably have had a better season. I'm just saying that once you start getting down to the guy who was their eighth option, that the the pickings for eighth options for for starters are really, really slim. You're, you're not going to find too many teams that are having a ton of success by running out their, the guy who they thought was like their eighth best starter. You're not going to find too many teams having success in that position. Four and six in terms of what the team did in those games seems like a relative win based on what you would expect from your eighth best starter. All right, on to happier topics and everyone's favorite topic, really. It's labor law time. Oh, you love me some labor law. All right. Jay Google's question this week asking, first of all, who thought the Brewers would save the weekend? And then also, 
anyone else have a mild stroke when Manfred said he would acknowledge the minor league players union? That was a, a touch of a surprise, Paul. I was not expecting that. It was. Um, I, and I didn't see anybody who thought otherwise. I think everybody's pretty surprised. There's really the only reason that really happens is that the the uh, the the players in question have a rock solid counting process. Everything around that. Um, this, this is going to be a card count unionization. Uh, I, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but there's a couple of different ways, depending on the state you're in, how union elections happen. Um, I happen to like card counts because you get physical evidence um, and don't have to. You don't have a waiting time between the development of an, uh, a vote being scheduled and then the vote actually happening. Lots can happen during those time periods. Um, the players probably did have a pretty rock solid foundation for having the union form. It sounded like they had a, a good card collection campaign. It sounded like they had everything in order and that they have the physical evidence that they have enough votes to make the thing happen. Um, I, in a more nefarious way of looking at this, one of the things the owners have done and would probably like to do more of is eliminating a few more minor league teams. And it is difficult uh it's not difficult when when your employees are unionized they gain certain rights they gain uh rights to uh grievances they gain rights to a process having to be followed when they lose their jobs but one of the things that can sort of always thwart a union is the business folding up tent and going home and um it's been used throughout time to thwart unions in other sectors and if the owners do use this as a good guy bad guy thing to be like hey we're playing ball uh, we're giving them their union. They're represented. We're going to improve their conditions. However, financially, we want to make sure they're in the best position, blah, blah, blah. So we're getting rid of 60 teams like that. You yep. might goodbye happen. rookie ball. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I guess that's the one thing I'd say keep an eye out for is that I think it's pretty likely the miners contract more um, than they already have. And uh, but but I'm still surprised. Like usually every big corporation fights tooth and nail to not have a union pop up where it didn't before so it's still very surprising and uh i, I mean honestly like it's been presented as almost an impossible feat in the miners for ages and ages even eugene friedman has a whole yeah. effectively wild on like mm -hmm. well just players tr come in and out so quickly it's hard to just gain traction because whenever any individual club does get close to unionizing uh the, the team can just promote people like they don't have to punish people they can move them to a different level um they can also just with impunity get rid of them a lot of the time and um it seemed like an easy thing to do for baseball to keep that union from happening and so i'm guessing that they have some nefarious reasons for allowing it to happen um because otherwise they would be in litigation for a while yeah so the thing here is i i think that well, first of all, we have to understand that this is not a new union. This is they're being brought that, in. That's a good point. They're part of the players' union now. It's right. not a new. This is a big difference from how this was conceptualized. I think in the first mm -hmm. place. Yeah, yeah, and that was always viewed as like what the big stumbling block was going to be is that if you didn't have the major league players' union being the ones who are organizing this, which they had shown no interest to do for a long time, and a lot of people criticized them for that, but. Yep. They had shown no interest in that, and now all of a sudden they, they're doing it. I think baseball realized here that they were going to be taking an L, that they, this was going to happen, that there was no way for them to stop it, and that, okay, well, in this case, we might as well just take the, the PR and just say, hey, guess what? We're not going to oppose your union and yep. take a little bit of a PR win because the only people that are actually going to care about this are people like us who are you know more towards the player side of things and wanting to see the players be fairly compensated for what they do. And so most other people are just aren't going to even care. It's not even going to show up on their radar. So I think that they're just going to take the PR win here after having so many, you know, so much bad blood and whatever. They can always now point to this and say, hey, we didn't oppose this. We could have put up a performative fight about this. We could have dragged this through litigation. We could have been real shitty about it. And we didn't. Aren't you glad we weren't? jerks yep. and i guess from that perspective like this is and i said this on twitter like 
it seems like an easy PR win for them to just say, okay, well, we can't stop it, so we might as well just embrace it and be like, okay. It's kind of like what Bill Clinton always did, which was he tried to stop Republicans from doing things, and then when he couldn't stop them, it was like, well, I guess I'm just going to get out and make this part of my agenda then, and it drove them nuts, and it was a big part of why everybody hated Bubba so much, was that he would do this, and so I guess you could say it's it's an easy thing for them to do, but the Major League Baseball owners putting up performative resistance to every single thing the union wanted is basically their entire history for 50 plus yeah. years at this point. Very so true. it is an actual step in a positive direction that way that they're not you know, fighting this tooth and nail. I will say one of the things that has always been brought up about this, and granted, these are separate bargaining units. So the the minor league players will bargain separately from the major league baseball. They're not from the major league baseball players. They're not going to be working on the same CBA. My understanding is that these are going to be separate processes. Okay. And this is not uncommon. This happens all the time within the world of unions. This was explained on effectively wild. It's normal. But one thing that it does make me wonder is that there was one of the reasons that was always given for why didn't the players look to bring the minor leaguers into the, the the major league players union was that their interests might be too divergent, that they might end up fighting with each other more than they uh, more than it would be worth for to have them there. And so I do wonder if when Paul says like nefarious, like side uh, agendas here that MLB might have, if they see this as a way to potentially uh, like, play the sides off against each other in negotiations somehow or whatever they they may have some ulterior motives here because yeah there there's always been this possibility that existed that there could be problems with with trying to fold the minor leaguers into the major league players union but all of that aside i think that this is probably a really good thing and should hopefully continue what has been a, a pretty steady stream of wins for minor league players in terms of just having like a general quality of life raise and just being treated in a much more respectful manner and having the the labor that they do valued more than what it has been in the past. Absolutely. All right. Moving on. Our next question comes from Tyler Gibson who asks, (laughs) is the no hitter dirt just a savvy (laughs) business move by the team or is it embarrassing and what's one move you want to see the Brewers make in the offseason? So apparently someone posted a picture online this mm-hmm. past week of uh, dirt from American Family Field from a September 2020 game, I think, in which the Cubs no-hit the Brewers. Mm-hmm. It was being sold at the stadium. So uh, mm-hmm. I guess, Paul, embarrassing for the Brewers or a great way to get Cub fan money? Uh, yes. um i guess i i I have embarrassing yes i I have like a i guess a philosophical problem with the dirt from a no hitter because fundamentally (laughs) like dirt is from everything that's occurred in the general like if if nobody ever like how does it have to have interacted with the no hitter to be the dirt from the no hitter, <laughs> the pitcher have to have stepped on it. Um, <laughs> is it good enough that it's just in the stadium? Like, like where was the dirt from the no hitter? How did it participate in the no hitter? Was it like it? I, 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 I'm kind of half serious here because, <laughs> like, it it was it's been the dirt presumably has been present for every game that has happened in the yeah. It's not like they're shipping new dirt for every game, right? Exactly. So for the recent past. <laughs> It's been that dirt's been so it like it's you could call it the Randall Simon hot dog assault dirt. <laughs> you could sell it like literally anything that's happened in this the Bon Jovi concert dirt. Like, <laughs> so I'm I'm offended from that perspective more than anything. That like you can sell this like you know Amfam slash Miller Park Lambeau Field dirt. Fine, fine, but like as an event, that's that's stupid. I I really kind of hate it for that. If you get some money out of it, some dumbass for it, fine. I don't care. But it's I am offended by it as a concept. It's really, really, really stupid. I am for emptying the pockets of Cub fans in any way, shape, or form possible. 
when they come up to our stadium. So this is just another gimmick to like get them to uh, foolishly hand over their money. And I'm sure it's not going to get that many, but whatever. It's fine. Uh, I have dirt from the Brewers 2011 uh, division series game, which the (laughs) Brewers sent out to season ticket holders. I swear to God, like six, seven years later in a little like commemorative coin, like plastic coin thing that's hollow. And they put the dirt in there. So they must have gone around and collected like a big pile of it, which makes me wonder, like, do they have a room in, in the park there where they have like, here's dirt from this series. Here's dirt from this game. Here's dirt from this game where they you just know they're just going to like Steins yeah. and getting a bag for the game and, just, and like just dumping it on the back end of the bullpen, letting the game happen and then putting it in the bottles for everybody. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like bottling yeah. up like heroin or. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I don't know quite how to follow that, but yeah, I mean, it's, Whatever, nobody's ever going to know the difference if it's not actually the genuine article or if it's the real thing. You could completely make it up. It, it has no verifiable thing. But in general, just the idea of, of shaking down Cubs fans for cash, <laughs> I'm, I'm pro that. So it's fine. Uh, I'm sure they do bring in. Uh, I, I have a friend who's on the ground screw. So I'll actually I'll talk to him tomorrow when I see him at work and say, hey, how often do you guys like dump new dirt onto the infield? And he'll probably be like. <laughs> Yeah, we have to do it like fairly frequently because I don't know it gets tracked around or you know whatever it gets stomped in. I don't, I have no idea. It runs off probably when they when they water it. So there's a, you know the dirt goes other places and they have to replace it. I'm sure that like there's a cycle there, but I'm also sure that there probably is still some Randall Simon dirt. Unless have they done the full <laughs> dig up of the field? I know they Ripley did a few years. I probably ago. have. They probably do. I don't know if that's an annual thing. That's a question for your friend. But yeah, I just I appreciated in the Reddit thread where I found this photo too. Somebody pointed out, can you imagine uh, or just picture like some poor intern who's like scooping up the dirt as the Cubs are celebrating this no hitter. And there's like the MLB authenticator following this kid around <laughs> too. like, yes, yeah. this is in fact the dirt from this game. MLB certified, you know, anyway, I all right, second half of his question, Ryan, really quick. One move you want to see the Brewers make this offseason? Josh Bell. Duh. <laughs> Paul, how about you? I mean, kind of that, yeah. I've been <laughs> wanting him for a while. That's what I want. Give me power hitting big guy, please. That sounds good. Do that. All right. Uh, one last Patreon question this week comes from Andrew Merker, who says, with the construction on a restaurant to be named later, are they finally going to name it? Any name recommendations? The shtick has run its course, right? And I think I actually disagree with Andrew. I love the name. I don't want them to ever name the restaurant to be named later. But, Paul, how do you feel? I actually agree with you. I think that's it's a good shtick. And it will. So I did not like it at first. Um, I thought it was a little a little too gimmicky but i have grown to like the constant complaining about it uh whereas i've come to accept it as it's a baseball term and uh so i I like it and they should uh, i agree with you not change the name i I won't be surprised if they have some kind of sponsored restaurant in there instead but uh, i would keep it the same i like it a lot they should never change it yeah, my guess is it goes back to being a chain. I think this yeah. was always probably a holding thing where they were waiting for somebody to come in and do that. And they just Agreed. haven't made the official announcement yet. So my guess is it goes back to being a chain as opposed to, you know, them deciding to do something else. Maybe Ryan Braun will come back and reopen. Uh, I was going to say, it's A12. Let's yeah, get they... A12. <laughs> yes. What was the other one? Because he had another restaurant, too. It was Ryan Braun's. What was it? I'm completely. I, uh, I don't know. There was there was know. another one too. Yeah, it was like an Italian restaurant. Yeah, I, well, I just well, hope eight, they don't eight twelve it. was an Italian restaurant for the record. Was it? Okay, it was a okay. scratch Italian run. kitchen, which is the first thing they told you when you walked in. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I I forgot it was Italian for some reason. I thought it was a steakhouse or something, but uh, Brett Favre had the steakhouses, right? I mm. think. Yeah, okay. him and Dicka and Shula. <laughs> there you go. All right, uh, a couple Twitter questions. We got one from Jerry Eldred this week asking, do you think the Brewers will make a big free agent deal during the life of the Christian Yelich contract? And I don't mean Kutcher, Avasil type deals. I'm talking a Kane type deal. Ryan, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I actually asked him a clarifying question on this. Did you mm-hmm. catch that? 
I asked him if it uh, had remind to be, us all who haven't seen. Yeah, it. yeah. I, I asked him if it had to be a free agent or if it could be like a market extension for one of their guys currently on board. Uh, so like oh, oh, an extension for Wood or for an extension for Burns, something like that would qualify. And he said, no, 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 it has to be a free agent. So I will say probably if you would include also a market level extension for one of their their starters or something in this, I would say certainly they will. OK, that will happen. But once you say, OK, it has to be a free agent, it can't be somebody that you're extending internally, then I'm going to say it probably will happen. And hopefully this winter, because they have so much money to play with this winter. Yeah, they really, really do. Uh, so hopefully it's this. It, it is the free agent and they do it this winter. But Josh, I'm, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm, but I'm a little <laughs> bit reserved about calling it because I think that they might choose instead. Like if you if they came out and announced, you know, a few weeks into the offseason or whatever, that they just signed Cor- Corbin Burns to a big extension. I think that would change the way most of us think about, OK, well, so now wh- how are they going to? F- uh, organize this team going forward and what are their their uh, the moves going to look like you know so I, I think I want that little bit of wiggle room but I will say probably yeah I don't know Paul how about you probably yes I think predicting that the Brewers will be a, a cheap team actually will make you wrong more than you think they actually I, I know that like people don't think that it's exciting to get Mike Moustakis or Hunter Renfro as called out in the question. He was trade anyway, but uh, they actually do go out and get people with some regularity and the life. Here's the other thing. The life of the Yelich contract is quite a long time. So yes. um, just based on time plus history, they probably will. Um, that's just what they tend to do. So yeah, I think it's pretty likely that they'll, uh, hand out another big contract or two to an impact player. Yep. I'll also say Jerry didn't specify if Christian Yelich still had to be on the Brewers during this contract. Eh. So trade him away. <laughs> no, I don't know. All right. Uh, last question this week comes from Logan I 54 on Twitter saying, Hey guys, I've been listening since the Adamas trade and I love the pod. Thank you very much. I'm looking down into the farm. Who are the prospects most likely heading to the Arizona fall league? And who would you like to see there? I can see a Lars Nupar style finishing school for Mitchell. Ryan, I guess any early thoughts on the Arizona Fall League? So Mitchell's a good shout. Normally guys don't get sent to the AFL once they've been called up to the majors, but Lars Nupar did. So that's why he's mentioning that. I would assume that's why he brings up Nupar's name in that context. I believe Sal Freilich did not play in the AFL last year. I was looking through it. I didn't see any mention of him from last year. Joey Weimer was there last year, so he doesn't seem like he would be as likely a guy. One of the reasons you would say Mitchell is likely is he missed a significant amount of time this year, and teams will often send guys to the Arizona Fall League if they want to get them extra time. So there is that. And then there is always the the Churio question, right? Like, will they actually do that? (laughs) Right. I think probably not. Probably not. But it also wouldn't stun me if they did. Like, he would be very young. He would be, uh, Arizona Fall League guys tend to be at least, you know, 21, 22. You you rarely see guys who are under the the legal drinking age at the Arizona Fall League. Uh, But Churio is an exception to a lot of rules. And we've already seen him go further this year than anybody would have thought. If you told me before the season that he would end the season playing above average baseball at, at, at high A, uh, I would have slapped you. So like th- there was absolutely no reason to expect any of that. So why should uh, his potential AFL fall assignment be any different? It, 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 it sure could happen. Definitely will be interesting to see and we'll keep an eye out for that. All right, that does it for questions this week. A reminder, you get question priority if you become a patron at patreon.com slash tailgate. You also get a shout-out here on the podcast when you sign up. And, Ryan, we have another new batch of new patrons to shout-out this week. Including somebody you just literally added, right? Or maybe Paul just added? I just added. Did you? Okay. Oh, late-breaking. I was in doing RAA work and noticed somebody joined recently meaning in the last few hours so woo-hoo. there you go all right so uh Stuart frost who i think we maybe mentioned last week i don't know how that ended up on this list but i th- i think we maybe mentioned Stuart last year uh patrick Demmer, detmer 
Aaron Schmitz, Matt Stein, and Timothy Faust, who was the one who apparently just joined a couple hours ago. So, uh, wow, it, it is really people are rolling in this time of year. So thank you very much to everyone. Yep. Uh, thanks, guys. Definitely uh, very much appreciated. And as we note, that uh, question of priority also applies to reporting as eligible. And as we mentioned at the top, plenty of questions to ask about the Packers this past week. And you're going to want that priority <laughs> to make sure your question gets asked, even yep. if it is simply what the hell, Paul. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we'll be out uh, listening for that as well. The guys will record that episode later this week. Uh, before we go and wrap up this show this week, we'd like to ask you to leave a review and a rating for this podcast on Apple Podcasts. A reminder, Paul will read literally anything you write in the review if you give us five stars. And Paul, we got a new one. We do. What do we got? We have Ryan Holbach, who left the following five-star review. Great podcast. Love the podcast. If you're looking for an insightful Brewers podcast, check this out. Side note, I always enjoy hearing fish pop up in conversation. Also a huge fan <laughs> of fish. Travel whenever I can to see them. This year, Alpine Run was all I could muster, unfortunately. Read the blanking book. You wrote expletive, I guess. Read the expletive book. Mm -hmm. So, thank you for that, Ryan. Thank you. Yeah, Ryan, <laughs> is that your burner? Uh -huh. <laughs> that was not my burner. Oh, okay. That may have been Steve's burner, Steve? though. I mean, yeah. like... <laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much for that review. A reminder, everyone else... Uh, that applies to you too. If you go and leave us a five-star review, Paul will read it here on the program. And while you're there, please do hit that subscribe button. Uh, even if you're not on Apple Podcasts, if you're on Spotify, Pocket Cast, wherever else, hit follow or subscribe. Make sure you never miss an episode, especially as we get close to the end of the season and the playoff chase uh, kind of heats up. I don't know. It, it's hard to say the playoff chase is heating up when the team keeps playing 500 baseball. But hey, they're in it two games out with a few weeks to play. So uh, we will be back here next week to cover everything that happens as the schedule actually kind of gets more difficult with the Cardinals and the Yankees, but uh, we'll see how those things play out. And we will talk about it all here on the Walkies tailgate. Have a good week.